happenings and events and seeing what's in store. Lurking in the QC, this is NCLT. everyone this is Matthew at NCLT and we're at the evening after party of the Charlotte Film Festival and right here I have a Cheetos handmade vodka with cheer wine and a squirt of lime and a filmmaker um introduce yourself sure my name is Jay Ahuja Jay Husuja Ahuja Ahuja pleasure um Jay and you bring the filmmaker's badge so you've contributed a film to the festival we did yeah we did the um live from the double door in the uh, story about Charlotte's Home of the Blues since 1973. And uh, we were actually the special presentation. So everything, all the ticket sales from our movie went to School of the Arts, a so, local nonprofit that teaches kids how to play music. No, that, uh, yeah, we raised a little more than $800 for a great cause. And that's had a great time. We actually had some live music and we. Uh, Screamed the film. Yeah. Got some great feedback. Did uh, the music play at the bar across the... In my social club. Okay, yeah, I was there. I know I happened to listen to some of the... the there was a really good uh, child guitarist. guitarist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah he was fantastic. He was a fantastic. I don't know his name, but he was there. He played with Lenny Federal. Yeah. And, uh, some friends of Lenny's. Okay. He threw down. Who was the vocalist at the end? He was shaved head? I don't know. Okay. He was... Uh, no, he had a great voice. He had a great voice. Excellent. So what... Um, how did, you, how did you get involved in making a film about the, the venue? Well, I've been going there since 1986. I got to know the owner. And uh, as I got to know him, he kind of let me know about good shows that were there. So for 20-something years, I was a fan. And he told me it was closing. And I was working in public television at the time. And I said, well, we got to do a documentary about this. And my executive director at the public television station, who I won't name, uh, said, what's the double door in? realized this was going to be harder than I thought, and crowdfunded it, actually. Went out and uh, raised $25,000 from people who were fans of the bar, recruited a couple of uh, really good filmmakers, because I'm not one, and uh, you know, turned it into a 30-minute documentary. We did 80 hours of uh, original footage, took uh, interviews, we did uh, performance footage, B-roll, and uh, Rick Fitz, who was our editor, kind of pulled that down to a half-hour film. Tim uh, Bratton, who used to be with WSOC, yeah. she uh, wrote the script, so it started without a narrator, which is kind of cool. Okay. And a fellow named Chuck hey. Budsworth was our director of photography, and he just shot you know, a love letter to the Double Door Inn. Uh, it turned into something more than I expected, honestly. I, all I wanted to do was preserve the history, and it turned into something that has taken on a life of its own. No, that's really cool. I think uh, preserving history of Charlotte is something that Charlotte, like, really, it's kind of taking an initiative, and it really has a great history, and a lot of authors and playwrights, playwrights have all come from here, and the music, of course, all that has a great music scene. The music scene. <laughs> People don't realize how much has come through here. Yeah. What um? What are some of the landmark shows you saw at the Double Door Inn? I guess as someone who kind of missed that wave, I didn't. I've heard so much about it recently. I know there was an article in Creative Loafing recently, and I think I think the people who used to play there now play at um Visual Light Theater. From what I want to understand. For the theater or the right yeah. Hole? yeah. 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 Uh, my favorite shows. I saw a band called the Holmes Brothers. I saw Joe Ely. I saw Buddy Guy, uh, Coco Taylor, 
No, I take it back. I saw their, their presentation of Buddy Guy. Right? You see Coco Taylor there. I saw countless local bands. Yeah. It was kind of the cool thing. It really was important to the local music scene. Um, who else did we see there? I mean, uh, Jimmy Thackeray. Yeah. Um, uh, out of curiosity, like, uh, well, so is this your first time getting a film into a festival, or yeah, I, I imagine this has been screening here and there. This is the first film I've ever done. We've been to three festivals so far, mm-hmm. two music festivals, and uh, it's been a wild experience. Yeah, awesome. I really just set out to make sure that we recognize what Nick, the owner, had done, and film festivals and everything else was an afterthought. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a possibility. Excellent. Um, guys, you got that piece of local history, and I'll be sure to check it out. That's live at the Double Door Inn, and yeah, Ray with Ray. What's that? Jay. Jay. Jay at the Charlotte Film Festival evening yeah. soiree. Jay and uh, Kim Bratton, Fitz, <laughs> Chuck Wesworth, and myself, and yeah. a couple others made it happen. Excellent. Thank you. And yeah, we'll see see you tomorrow. Yeah. This is Matthew and CLT, and we're at the Charlotte Film Festival evening soiree with food by Namaste Kitchen. And right now I have a filmmaker with me. May you introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Stephanie Toby. I am the producer of Forever Bee. Forever Bee. Awesome. A producer with Forever Bee. And would you tell us what Forever Bee was about? I've seen a lot of the films, but I haven't seen that one. So tell us, uh, for someone who wants to know what Forever Bee is. Yeah, it's a feature-length documentary about a girl who was kidnapped in the 1970s twice by her parents' best friend. No, I remember reading about that one, and I wanted to see it, but it was like ten minutes over that. Okay, yeah, you, you missed the best <laughs> film of the festival. The best film of the festival. Yeah. But um, what? Uh, how did that film kind of come into being? Because I'm not familiar with that story, but it sounded it sounded like a really engaging story. Yeah. So Jan and her mother wrote a book and self published it in 2005 about this story about the kidnapping and their life Jan was the yeah. one abducted, and so. I was working at a manager's office in Los Angeles. The book was on the shelf. It was a slow day, and she suggested if I like true crime stories that I should read this book. And Jan had worked at this office a couple years earlier. So I read the book, and I was just so intrigued by the story. How could somebody get kidnapped twice? How could this happen? How could these parents let this man, he was a married father of five, into their life? And how did he infiltrate this family to kidnap their daughter two times? Yeah. So I was really excited about the story. And I felt like a lot of the topics are still happening today. Um, go on. You said you, how did you went on, you found out about the story and then you just thought what I can make. Uh, you found a director then. Yeah. So it wasn't, I kind of sat on the story for about a year or so. And then those three girls that got found in Cleveland after being kidnapped for 10 years, mm-hmm. that story really stayed with me for a really long time and I called Jan the girl that was kidnapped and I asked her like what can I do where can I volunteer what can I do to make sure this doesn't happen to anybody else and she was like why don't you tell my story why don't you do a documentary about the story that happened to me and see how many people you can reach yeah and so I found Sky Borgman who is our director and my producing partner um she's a director of photography on multiple documentaries. She has produced and directed her own documentary. Um, So she signed on with me and the two of us created a team around us, mostly of women and got these interviews and have been working together for four years now. So Awesome. Had you produced a film before? I produced a horror comedy called Killer Party, which is out there on iTunes and Amazon and all those uh, horror comedy. But this is my first documentary. Okay. 
So it's Halloween's coming out, so maybe yeah. watch Killer Party. <laughs> there you okay. Go. Um, how about the? Uh, you said you got a big team of women, which I think you know. I don't feel like women are necessarily as visible as they should be in the industry. So how was that kind of experience? Just like approaching film festivals and saying, "Hey, this is, here I am, and this is my team." You know, having that. Yeah, kind of, I think it definitely helped us. It also helped us in the interview process. We were going into these families of people that we didn't know and asking them these really vulnerable questions about yeah. things that happened 40 years ago yeah. and getting them to talk about their mistakes and their deepest secrets. And I think it really helped having a team of women enter into these homes. We cooked dinner with them. We did the yeah. dishes with them. We got to know them before we even asked any questions. And I think that tore people's walls down. It made them more vulnerable and like just more to answer questions yeah. so i think that helps uh, but um you said you i guess you got involved with them even before asking questions uh documentary filmmaking that's a very interesting process you know i think narrative films you know they there's a general guideline you have a script you get actors you do this you shoot it you get locations but documentary every documentary is different and so this approach was very um this was like in a historical uh event that had happened so what were some of the Things you kind of experienced documenting something that happened 40 years ago. Yeah. So I think memory is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Things that people choose to remember. Um, so this family has been telling this story for 40 years or have been remembering it in the way that yeah. they want to remember it. And that's the story that they wrote in the book and the story that we thought we were going to be telling. Um, but then we met the FBI agent. This case shaped his entire career. He became an FBI profiler. He taught at Quantico. Um, he saved thousands of pages of FBI documents and interviews and court transcripts and voice recordings and gave them to us from this case, which yeah. took us on this investigative journalism aspect where we were learning a bunch of different things. And it really took this documentary on a totally different direction than we thought we were going on. Yeah. Originally, and you'll have to see it. <laughs> yeah, know what I'm definitely. talking about. <laughs> yeah, for certain. Um, all right. So, is that going to be? Uh, are you looking at getting a wide release or distribution through festivals, or is it going to be put online? You don't even need a distributor anymore. You know, there's the internet. No, so. but um, <laughs> we are meeting with uh, distributors and sales agents. Um, Netflix would be amazing. They're definitely known for true crime documentaries. Yes. So that would be a dream. Netflix, if you're out there, <laughs> call us. Forever be. <laughs> <laughs> Where be? Um, Are you local to Charlotte? I am not. I'm from Atlanta originally, Atlanta, Georgia, but I live in Los Angeles. All right. So, yeah, I guess this podcast got called NCLT. What do you think of Charlotte? How, how is it treating you? I am obsessed with uptown slash downtown Charlotte. Yes. It's beautiful. <laughs> it is. There's just gorgeous parks with art in the middle of these high-rise buildings. It was stunning. We walked around all day today and the people couldn't be there's a lot. There's a certain geometry to it. You it's, know, there's a very modern geometry that I like. It's beautiful. I it's love cool. it here. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, for being on NCLT and we'll try to check out Forever Bee when it gets out there. Yeah, foreverbeedoc.com. Excellent. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> perfect, perfect. <laughs> Broken teeth and don't <laughs> cheat if that's what rolls off. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, excellent.
All right, everyone, this is Matthew. We're on NCLT at the evening soiree of the Charlotte Film Festival 2017. And uh, right near, I have with us one of the hosts. Uh, feel free to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Dervin Gilbert. Dervin Gilbert. Pleasure to meet you, uh, Dervin. My pleasure as well. Yes, yes. All right. So how did you get involved with the film festival? Well, I'm a, um, a film and TV actor, SAG actor. I live in Charlotte. And I've been here probably, oh, I guess about six years. Know quite a few people in town. And um, a couple of people run it. I think Scott Spann was involved in he He actually contacted me, I think, about three years ago and said, dude, you know, will you come out and, and host some of the films? I was like, sure. So it's been fun. Yeah, that's fun. It's, it kind of really I, speaks I, of uh, the creative life. You just never really know where you might end up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I moved I moved to Charlotte. I mean, I've lived all over the country, and I moved here thinking, I don't know what's going on in Charlotte, but these they really have some wonderful films in this festival. So it's had some very, un, very unusual evenings where I thought, oh, gosh, this is going to be, you know, some sort of, yeah. Whole home film, and they're like, they're all been excellent. So, yeah, yeah, that's, so, it's, uh, so it's been fun. It's been a very impressive festival. I've, as someone who's been to film festivals uh, here and there, and and whatnot, I was definitely, uh, I don't know why, I was taken, I was taken aback at the quality of the films, to be honest. So that's a good thing. That's a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Uh, well, what are some it's of the truly an international festival? So. Yeah. What are what are what are some of the films that stood out to you as a, from an actor's God, perspective? You know, I can't even remember the names of it. <laughs> I mean, I've only seen a few. I mean, there was a documentary last week about. Um, what was it called? It was about two Indian, two Indian ladies who are both judges okay. out in California, tribal and, their, and their elder tribal tribal justice, which was which was wonderful about going into their individual tribe, going a little bit further northern southern northern California, other than southern California, and trying to take some of their um, their tribe members who've been caught up in the in the normal state judicial system and take over, you know, or guide us for them within the tribe itself. It's very very. It was a really wonderful film. It reminded me a lot of the, um, what's it, is it up in New Hampshire where they're having all the trouble with the heroin? Yeah. In Concord, you know, where they're doing the same thing with, with, with heroin addicts up there. Okay. Trying to instead, of, instead of beating them, they're like bringing them in and trying to actually help rehabilitate them and nurture them all. Yeah. Oh, thought, wow, right. how cool is that? And the, and the other one was an Irish movie. I cannot remember the name of that one. A very dark movie. Um, one of the features. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, I saw last week, and I think it was called 7852. A documentary on the cycle shower sequence, you know. So it was actually oh, a feature, cool. yeah, feature like documentary. Yeah. And Bernard Herman's, you know, magnificent score and they kinda of talk actually, about its uh cultural impact and you know, you get, like how you know, he, he spent forty five days shooting that whole movie. He spent seven on that shower sequence. Wow. <laughs> so kind of Well I really want to see Ryan uh Ryan Eggold's movie, you know. Um, I really like his acting in uh, Black Rose. Which one? Ryan Eggold. He's he's got the movie it was called uh, Just Before the hell's it, it called? Just before I can't think of the name of the movie, but okay. Ryan Engel, he's 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 the younger actor in Blacklist who yes. married an FBI agent. Okay, and he actually wrote and directed this movie, and it stars Justin. I can't think of anybody's name on this. Yeah, no, 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 no. The guy that used to do the Apple app. Yeah, Apple yeah. Commercial. Okay, interesting. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of films to this festival, which is interesting. So you never. Um, anyway, I was, watching, I was watching backstage yesterday because I'm, I'm an actor and I keep up with all that stuff. And they they were interviewing on, on backstage, live interview uh, over the internet about this movie. And just, oh, wow, I want to see it. I want to see it. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, okay, so you are an actor. How do you you, you live in Charlotte, right? I do at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. And so, how's it uh, as an actor living in Charlotte? You know, um, is it kind of like the industry? Are you signed with an agency in Charlotte, by chance? Yeah. Well, I'm not from here, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I started, I started, I've been acting for 30 years. I um, moved here in 2010, and about the time I moved here, because of um, some strange twist of fate, I ended up in Charlotte. Yeah. And about that time, the state got film incentives, 
and a lot of films started coming in. And then I moved to Atlanta because there's so much work in Atlanta, and I was doing some work like with Tyler Perry and some other um, guest starring roles down there. I moved back to Charlotte because of a relationship, and the state got rid of its film incentives. This state, so I'm back and forth to Atlanta, back and forth to Atlanta. So it's not quite as you know, not quite as promising as it was, say, you know, six or seven years ago. Yeah, but, it's, but it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful town. It know? is, it is very, I've, very. It's low key in a way, but then there's a lot going on here too. So there is, you know, we're at the Charlotte Film Festival. So there, there's here we are. Yeah, it's sure I, mean, I, mean, I, I, I was hoping that there'd be more attendance to it. Um, maybe in the future they'll pick up more and more. But everybody I've met's been, you know, they're very conscientious about it, very serious about it, and. Here we are at this party. This is beautiful. Best, yeah, yeah. Best food I think I've had in Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Definitely. Uh, that. I'm going to stay kitchen. I'm going to stay kitchen. I'm going to stay kitchen. I got it. I'm in. I'm in. Tasty stuff. Sign me up. Excellent, excellent. And uh, I had a quick question, like, what got you into acting? I guess that's me kind of asking from me to you, because, you know, I've done, I teach acting, actually, at a Did studio in Mount Holly. Oh, uh, yeah. Talenting the studio. Oh, yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Well, um, my father was, uh, was an opera singer, and my mother was... Um, all of, her, all of her life was an amateur actress, and when I was growing up, I it was like one of these things where you know my mother would be rehearsing and they would drag me along to the rehearsals, and I I, I didn't want to have anything to do. I mean, I loved watching movies and TV, but I was like, I didn't want to have anything to do with the stage. But whenever I noticed anybody on the stage would miss a line, I'd go and I'd say the line, you know, because it's like you know at that time I still had like you know like a kid you just remember everything, and um, and so years later I had a. I've done lots of things in my life, but I had an extensive career as a model, uh, international, did a lot of modeling internationally, Europe and stuff. And I finally thought, you know, I've been avoiding acting all my life. Why don't I give it a shot? So I was living in Atlanta at that time. I took a few basic classes. And within two years, I was um, like the actor of the year, two years running, two years running in Atlanta. I did like, I think over a nine-year period of time, I did over 220 commercials or something. And, um, and really, I really wasn't. I, didn't, I really wasn't a trained actor. It was more just, more just charisma, I guess. And, yeah. And then, uh, so I, I quit that for about nine years, and then I started back. Um, and I, I came up here. The reason I moved to Charlotte is a really good teacher here, Lon Bumgarner, mm-hmm. who uh, teaches over at um, at um, um, Corrigan and Johnson, the casting agent here in town. He, he teaches there on weekends. Great, great teacher. And I uh, stayed with him for a couple of years, and... Um, and since then, I've been just auditioning and regularly with, um, you know, TV and film out of L.A. and um, landing some of them occasionally. So yeah. how I got into it was, I guess, because certain amount of genetics. But when I was a little guy growing up, I always loved, um, like, Errol Flynn was one of my heroes. I don't know if you remember who he was. Yeah, he was in the... Uh... There we go. Here goes, here goes no, the No, I'm trying thing. to think. <laughs> he was Robin Hood, wasn't he? He was. That was yes, that was, his, was Robin well, that was, Hood. That was his first big. Yeah, that was his first big. He did a lot of other things. The guy was like a real. Yeah, he was like a real rogue, you know. Uh-huh. And um, man, I grew up thinking, guess guy had such a lot of Eve on the film. Okay. And so I really, you know, I didn't really know I really wanted that until later in my life. Cause mm-hmm. I did a lot of other things, but. Um, so that's yeah, really, that's really so those, those are the kind of roles I gravitate toward. Yeah, oh, I, I'm cast yeah, as exactly. like the middle aged. Uh, uh-huh. The middle-aged rogue. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the half, the, the half, the look half of it, you know. Yeah, it's that's fun. fun. It's fun. And, you know, I think uh, that's really good because I got actors I always kind of look back at. Why did I even get into this? They look at the yeah, back yeah, of the yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I like comedy and stuff too, but that's how I got into it. So mm-hmm. Kind of through the back door, but I really always loved film. Yeah. And, and what is, uh, what it helped you, what, what do you think has helped you most as an actor as a curiosity? Just like, what is something 
I don't know, like uh, that you kind of like learned along the way that you kind of keep other. <laughs> well, the funny part about it is what's really helped me most as an actor was I, I was formerly an athlete. I was a professional athlete and amateur athlete all my life. And um, I think my experience being a being an action ranked swimmer and then later as a professional bicycle racer, I, I, I sort of kind of developed a kind of a thick skin. And yet I've always loved, um, I don't want to say I like the competition per se, but I've always liked the challenge. And, and yet I've always liked art, too. So kind of all that together um, added up to, um, you know, a certain amount of uh, stick with acting. And as far as the like of acting, I mean, I've always just, I've just always just loved movies. I mean, I, I never was that much of a stage guy, but I've always loved film. <laughs> okay. I've always loved film. Yeah. A whole lot. Awesome, fun. That's really nice to kind of hear that. Even like your athletic background, like really contributed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I, you know, like, that's the thing. Like, I, I mean, some people fall into it. I mean, you know, I mean, my God, people, people, they come to me sometimes who don't act. They say, "Oh, well, I'm too old." I'm going, "No, you're not. No, you're not. Yeah. If you really want to, have you ever I, seen an old guy in the film? I mean, you know? And meanwhile, you know, just yesterday, I'm working with a ten-year-old kid who's making like fifteen million bucks, and yeah. you know, like yeah, this is his twentieth film, and I'm like, "Hey, yeah. never too young or too old. Never too young, never too old. Go for it." Awesome, excellent. Well, uh, yeah. uh, thanks for having a few words with me. I grabbed the Charlotte Film Festival in the soiree. The Matthew and I'm with Durbin Gilbert. Durbin Gilbert. <laughs> oh, pleasure. Thank you for having uh, good doing. And we'll see you tomorrow. Thank, thank, thanks for the kibbutz. Thank you. <laughs> a pleasure. I appreciate it. somehow find the connection between what is the life lived and what is the art that's created because all you see is the person on the stage. So um, my wife and I and business partner and executive producer, Mimi Gretti, um, went in search of who would be the right people because we were new to this. We weren't uh, aficionados of the art form, but uh, we fell in love with it. And so we talked to a lot of people, Dasan Ahanu, who was uh, sort of the godfather of, of uh, triangle poetry, maybe beyond that, he's got his fingers on everything, uh, was one of the main people to guide us. And Will McInerney, who's head of Sacrificial Poets, uh, people like that, we talked to a lot. And they led us to see more people, meet more people, and that's how we found these three. Um, I don't know if you all heard that, but the conversion of spoken word poetry into film. I'm not sure what the first step was, but I always thought that it would, it had the virtue of being a performance art, and therefore something that I thought we could use performing art to convey. But 
the part of getting close and personal, I wasn't sure how that would play out. You just spend time with people. Um, and what attracted you to the concept initially of following spoken word, like as opposed to maybe painters, draftsmen, or novelists, or anything like that? So why why poetry? Well, I love that question because this is uh, near and dear to me. Is the the process of art and the fact that art, in a way, is is able to speak things that we can't speak. Yeah. And I thought that's what this poetry was doing. We grew up in uh, very close to folk music. And we used to go to coffee houses, and both my wife and I were singers. And when we walked into a spoken word event, it felt like going back in time. There was this great intimacy, a lot of uh, protest, professions of deep thought. And I thought, wow, this is, this is one of the few places in which people that don't have a voice have a voice. And that, that I thought proved to be true as we got to know the poets more. Yeah. That was the most important thing to me. We're also ex-English teachers. <laughs> that might be part of the book. Yeah. And so we've taught a lot of kids that don't have a voice, you know, the kids that sit in the back. But often if you talk to them privately, you find out they have a lot to say. I think poetry does that too. Yeah. There are many different organizations and opportunities now that are reflected in the movie for individuals to come and express themselves. Could you maybe talk a little bit more about some of the groups that we saw, like Brave New Voices and that amazing program and you know uh, the, other, the other opportunities that's, that you ran into? Yeah, well, thanks for that, because that should be talked about. <clears throat> we had no idea what the world of spoken word poetry was, and it's, as some of you may know, it's an international movement. So when we went to Brave New Voices in Chicago, following our team from Chapel Hill, we found there were, I don't know, 10,000 kids there, and they were from all over the world. And so as we learned more about that, we realized Brave New Voices particularly is an organization that has inspired countless people locally in the Triangle, but also all over the world. So for instance, there was a, South African team there, there was a Hong Kong team there, there was a Bermuda team there. And, you know, they say it's not about the competition, but of course that's what drives the kids, kind of like a sporting event. But when they get there, they find out that really it's meeting people from around the world who are saying things that are like the things they say that is what it's all about. So you get that great so what in the movement, which was very smart, I think making kids realize that there's lots more to take away from the competition. So Sacrificial Poets was sort of our starting ground locally, uh, and they've had a tremendous influence in the Triangle and Brave New Voices across the land now. Uh, but I, clearly there are places in Paris and in Hong Kong and around the world where the same movement is going on. Our film showed in Berlin in a small group where they have a very active but small spoken word community. As they started to kind of, uh, traditional art forms kind of gave way to media like films and like recorded music, I think 
having documentaries like you kind of paves the path for people to go back to the stage as opposed to like going on camera and I think that was kind of a really interesting dynamic so you're kind of using this modern medium to re-expose people to like going to coffee houses again and seeing spoken word which I thought was really cool and I think it's one of the things that documentary can do so well which is to is to spread the word through media of, about intimacy <laughs> ironically yeah and that is what spoken word feels like is real intimacy even when it's to a large audience and I think that's very much reflected in the in the documentary is the sense that these are many individuals who had not necessarily come to this naturally they were not necessarily viewing themselves as artists or writers and they came to this kind of out of a collective sense of individual pain or looking for communities I think your film does a very interesting uh, a scope on community and the community building within this. I'm so glad that came through because that was really important to us. It, was, it wasn't just about finding out who were these people behind the poetry, but the fact that the community is what sustains them, brings them forward, helps them along because, it, because you can't do it alone. It's clearly about this sense of community. Um, I think based on just what you just said there and the film itself, it kind of demonstrates how it's like when you know what is a poet like what is a writer like they're just people you know they're just people who have made the decision to spend this moment of time practicing their particular crafts so they're poets but they're you know they're taxi drivers they're they're announcers they're soldiers they're anyone's like anyone can be a poet like you don't have to go to school you know there was art before art school so Amen. it's just like I think that um, your documentary just kind of really exemplifies that just as like who are these people you probably walk by in the street every single day you know <laughs> you remind me that there was I wish I could remember the name of it but uh, one of the poet laureates of our country published a, a book of favorite poems of people around the country and they were postmasters and housewives and all these people had really important poems that they wanted to share with everybody else in the country and I thought well that's that's sort of a real secret yeah that poetry has this sort of underground life yeah but I think yeah any upcoming projects or the next step or anything like that yeah we've another project we've worked on for five or six years again <laughs> intermittently yeah uh, this was funded uh, by the North Carolina Arts Council to document this amazing artist who died about three years ago at the age of 94 in Wilson, North Carolina. His name is Wallace Simpson. And he made what are called, somebody called them whirligigs. They're, they're windmills that are purely ornamental. And he was a mechanic who, around about age 50-something, started to take spare parts and turn them into these amazing sculptures moving in the wind. And Wilson has bought 39 of them and made a park out of the center of town to help rejuvenate a town that was down on its luck. And it's working. So their project is like a $12 million arts-funded project that is opening November 2nd. So we've documented Valas doing the work interviewing him, the, the uh, restoration of the windmills, because they were rusting in a field, and the installation of them in this park. So we're hoping we could turn that into a, a final film. Yeah. Awesome. Also seeking funding. Yeah. <laughs> funding is always a challenge. <laughs>
any less. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming. For yeah. sharing this with us. Thank you. We appreciate you being here. Thanks Thank a lot. Thank you. Good luck being here. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so if you make sure when you go out, please fill out the ballots for this. It's up for audio. That last one was the one that was. Okay. I think. All right. It seems to be working again. It's working? Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. Producer, director. That's correct. Excellent. Hey everyone, this is Matthew, uh, NCLT, and we're on the final day of the Charlotte Film Festival, where we just watched Purple Dreams, the documentary of uh, the color purple production put on by Northwest Globe of the Arts. And I'm very honored to be here with both the producer and director. Uh, we have Robin Gray and Joanne Hawk, respectively. Um, yeah, just want to say a few words about the film. Sure, it was, it was great screening here. We really appreciate the Charlotte Film Festival putting this up as one of their one of their projects and a good audience and a good response from the audience so real happy to be here yeah and not just as they put it up but they're donating the proceeds from ticket sales to a senior at Northwest School of the Arts so that makes it even better for us that there's something very positive coming out of this screening yeah so we thank Charlotte Film Festival for yeah that. um uh, how is this the, one of the first festivals y'all have done? Is this early in the circuit, or is this midway through, towards the... Um, a third of the way through. A third of the way through. <laughs> yeah, awesome. you know, we've been winning a lot of awards. We've won a couple of audience awards. We've won a social impact award in New York. And um, we just see that, I think we've been at seven festivals, and out of seven, we've won five awards. So it's pretty cool. No, it, uh, <laughs> there's definitely a great... This is a film we wanted to see with an audience. I can definitely say that because everyone felt all the emotion that was kind of captured on screen. Yeah. And uh, it's always interesting to see documentary filmmaking because as y'all kind of implied, you it, you start off with the intent to make a film, but then something happens and then it's just like, all right, that's six months more filmmaking, you know? Mm -hmm. So you have them like go to no, the Nebraska moment. So that's, yeah. uh, that's really powerful. <clears throat> um, as filmmakers, I feel like you know a lot of filmmakers have their kind of their landmark films here and there scattered throughout their career. Would you consider this like one of your crowning achievements from a personal perspective? I mean, anticipating great works in the future, but do you still feel like this is one of your something that you would stand proud of in your canon? For me, I I definitely do because <laughs> it marries so many of the things that I've done over the years, starting working at Legal Aid in New York and fighting for individuals' rights in underserved communities to being a guardian ad litem in Charlotte. You know, that's always, for me, there's a cause I want to fight. And Joanne has very similar views to that. We certainly hope we'll do more at this level and better. <laughs> but for now, this is a fantastic film that I'm so proud to be part of. Yeah, excellent. All right, no problem. Uh, yeah, thanks for having a few words, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time, and we'll keep an eye on the documentary as it moves forward. Great. Thank thanks. you very right. much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Hey, this is uh, NCL team. We just finished the screening of Purple Dreams, the documentary covering the first high school production of The Color Purple at Northwest School of the Arts. And I have a couple of audience members, so what did y'all think of the film? It's phenomenal. Everyone should see this. It's, just, it's so inspiring and tells a great story of kids that are so talented, but beyond that, just uh, the power of arts education.
Corey Mitchell. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's very inspiring for them. Like, yeah. very modern. Yeah. And my girl, I, I thought it was phenomenal also. <laughs> it was. It really blew me away. The talent that's there. Um, it's a shame that they don't give more of these children more places to go and, and work on their themselves yeah. and, and show their talent. And my daughter was in drama when she was in school many moons ago. But it was great for them to have that outlet. And they need it. So it I'm, I'm thrilled that it's... Yeah, so showcasing think, that. Yeah, this film uh, really caught every aspect of the story about like yeah. what it takes to right. kind of get these kids to the next stage, in spite of the circumstances they live in. Yeah, in spite you know? of the difficulties mm-hmm. that they have to overcome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, uh, and that this arts is providing them an outlet to channel some definitely. of that drama in their own lives mm-hmm. in a positive way. Yeah. Excellent. So, yeah, excellent. No. So, everyone, come see Purple Dreams. If you get a chance, definitely catch the movie. Purple Dreams. Excellent. All right. All right thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. This is your host, Matthew Barnes of NCLT. I just wanted to continue to thank everyone for listening to the show. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Tune, and Radio. We do have a Facebook page, an Instagram, a Twitter account, NCLT. Uh, You can also find us on the website, nclt.network, not .net, not .org, not .com, .network, nclt.network. Thank you, Google Domains. Uh, got a, as I keep saying, we got a lot of great things coming up. And Christopher Venezia, you continue to be the man as the, being the other principal player in the projects. And yeah, we'll catch y'all next time. Adios.